Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to launch a new message series. It's a short series for four weeks out of this, out of this Old Testament book. But listen, here's the, here's the thing. We all like to believe that we're kind of in control of life, that they're kind of, kind of managing things okay. And, uh, and then there's a crisis or like a pandemic. How, however it happened, Anthony Fauci might let us know this week what really happened, or a, a cancer diagnosis, or a, or a, or, or a kid who goes sideways, or, 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 or a, a job loss, or something kind of traumatic happens in your life, and suddenly it's not control, it's chaos. And you thought you kind of had a handle on things, and you realize you really don't. And crisis always gives us a, a choice of, you know, I can, I can, you know, you know, bear down, I can double down on like, no, I'm doing it my way, I can do this, I can handle it, I can manage what's going on, or, or we can let someone else take control. Um, you know, our, our, our friends in AA get this. Step one says, you know, we admitted that, uh, we were powerless in our lives, right? Powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two says that we, we, we recognize, we came to understand only a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, that, that's a, that's a great, when, when you get a hold of those things, that's the kind of the beginning process of, of moving forward. Because when we just kind of white knuckle it, if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, you saw that picture up there. If you've ever ridden a roller coaster, some of you are like hands in the air roller coaster. Who are the hands in the air roller coaster people? All right. Who are the hang on for dear life roller coaster people? Yeah. And here, and who are the roller coaster? Nuh-uh, not for me people. All right. Not too many of you guys, but, uh, you know, I love roller coasters. And uh, not the spinny kind, but anything that's fast and, and crazy. But I'm not a hands-in-the-air guy. I'm a white-knuckle roller coaster rider. And, uh, you, you know, make all kinds of faces. And when we do that, when we just try to get through it ourselves, we're going to find ourselves in chaos and possibly even conflict with other people. And instead, we want to come to that place of admitting our powerlessness and our need for God, it's hard, but it's the only hope for recovery, whatever the situation is. So this month, we're going to be mentored by a, a guy, a prophet in the Old Testament, a guy named Jonah. Now, um, Jonah only gets one brief mention in Second Kings chapter 14. And then he gets a book named after him. It's only four chapters long. And it's very deep in what we call the minor prophets. Let me just take a quick time out and explain how the Old Testament, you got the first five books, which is sometimes called the Torah or the books of Moses or the law. And then, and then from there you move into kind of all the narrative history uh, of Israel. And then you move into what's called wisdom literature, which is Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you get into the prophetic books. These are messengers from God that, that spoke messages to the people of Israel at the time, but also to other nations and also messages that continue to speak to us today. And in those prophets, you've got, 
what we call the major prophets and the minor prophets. It's not because the major ones are more important than the minor ones. It means that there's a few big ones and a bunch of little ones. And so if you're in the prophetic books, you're going to start with Isaiah, then Jeremiah, Lamentations written by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, lots of end-timey stuff in Ezekiel. And then it goes into Daniel. Now we start into the minor prophets. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. I got to think of the song. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Amos, Amos Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the, or Malachi, the Italian prophet. So, um, so we're in Jonah. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Right in there. So if you're flipping through your Bible, and friends, I love it if you get in the habit of bringing a a real Bible with paper to church, but a digital Bible is okay too. But my preference is a paper Bible because then I can feel it in my hands. And um, he served in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now keep in mind, under, under Saul, Israel became a kingdom. Then under David, the kingdom expanded. Under David's son Solomon, the kingdom prospered. And under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom divided it, split southern and northern. And Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C. All right. He, he even preached. And this is what the book of Jonah is all about. He even preached in the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Here's a here's a little map to try to give you an idea of where Nineveh is. And let me give you a modern day map that shows it's really Mosul, Iraq. Or right beside Mosul, Iraq. And there is, up until a few years ago, you could visit the tomb of Jonah, a memorial mosque, really, in, in Iraq, um, until ISIS tore it up and, and blew it up and destroyed it, unfortunately. But it's there. So, if you grew up in Sunday school or church, you no doubt feel like, I know the story of Jonah, I'm well familiar with it, it's the guy who got a message from God, go preach to Nineveh, I don't want to go to Nineveh, so he gets on a boat, sails as far away in the other direction as he can, while there a big storm comes up, the storm, uh, the, the sailors toss him overboard, a, a whale comes along, swallows him up, uh, brings him to shore, spits him out, he walks into Nineveh, preaches happily ever after, right? That's kind of how it is in the children's Bible story books. There's some missing pieces to that element. Jonah's a conflicted character. He's complicated. He's, he's, um, well, he's human. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He, you know, God allows him to experience crisis in his life more than once, and I believe it's so that he can see that Jonah, you're not in control. You are not in control of the world, of your life, of what happens around you. And each time, it's a choice of Jonah to either trust God or to trust himself. And if anything kind of happened in this last 15, 16 months, we were challenged to say, what am I going to do? I, I don't know who to believe. We're learning now more than ever that, boy... Some of the things we're told weren't true. Some might have been. We're confused. We don't know what's going on around us. Who do I believe? Who do I trust? I can't even trust myself, let alone the voices around me. Is that really happening? And so we're, we have to be able to trust God. But hey, so, so he, he eventually did obey God, but he was also disobedient and selfish because he's human. And we've, we're guilty of those same things. Ultimately, you know, he did humble himself because he wrote the book or told somebody what happened and they wrote the book and it doesn't present him in the best light. It's not like if I wrote a book about myself, I would be amazing. 
right? But Jonah's like, I blew it multiple times. And here's my story. So it's really remarkable he does it. Humble people tell the truth. Humble people are honest, even about themselves. All right. That's the backstory uh, of this guy. So we're going to talk about this prophet who, in grasping at straws, you'll see that reference today, found God to be trustworthy in crisis. So I'm going to read to you Jonah chapter 1. I read from the New Living Translation. You can remain seated today as I read the first 17 verses. Ready? Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He wasn't just escaping from Nineveh. He was escaping from the Lord. Tarshish, uh, there's a few places named Tarshish at the time. They think it could have been as far away as Spain. Um, we, we don't know exactly. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots. They drew straws to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. That's the third time we're told he was running from God. Oh, why do you do it? They, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop? What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, verse 13, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to, to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And then they cried to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Wow. In case you're wondering, I'll just say it at once. Um, I do believe in the historicity of this book. There are those who say it's allegorical. I believe it actually happened and we'll just leave it at that. All right, Nineveh was a terrible place. Nineveh was a terrible place. Legendary for their wickedness, for their violence, for their cruelty. Um, it was a bad place. And they were sort of the arch enemies of their northern kingdom. In fact, ultimately, in the, from the future from this time, the northern kingdom of Israel would fall to the Assyrians. 
By the way, the Assyrian people still are around. I bumped into an Assyrian the other day um, at, at a shop. We were buying some stuff, and and uh, there's an, there's some Assyrian churches up in Turlock. I had no idea. Anyway, that's sidebar. Um, bring it back in. All right, here we go. See, no one would fault Jonah for not wanting the assignment. Wicked, and Nineveh is a bad place, right? It would be like asking a Jew in the spring of 1945 to, you know, befriend Hitler and his cabinet. Uh, you know, try to warn them, hey, maybe something bad's going to happen, right? Uh, you know, the height of the final solution and all that. I, I've been told, in fact, that Hitler's people studied ancient Assyria to find out how to be more wicked, more cruel, to inflict torture in more painful ways. They were that bad. They were, they were horrible. And so, yeah, it's a tough assignment for poor old Jonah. But it speaks to the kindness of God. And and instead of being a spectator today and, and through this series, as we're mentored by Jonah, what if I told you this? Everyone has a Nineveh. Everyone has a Nineveh. Each of us has an assignment from God that we may want to run away from. A person he means for us to love or to share the gospel with. A a relationship that we're supposed to reconcile or a relationship we're meant to break off. Forgiveness we ought to extend. A job we're meant to take or to leave. A financial sacrifice we're called to give. It's something we sense that God is leading us to do. And we don't want to do it because it's hard or unfair or unlikely. It doesn't seem to make sense. And we think, I don't want to do that. Everyone has a Nineveh. What's yours? Or who is yours? You can run like Jonah did, but there's a cost. Think about the, the cost in Jonah's, in Jonah's situation. You, you know, for the Ninevites, it meant a delay. Spoiler alert, he does get to Nineveh eventually. Uh, it meant a delay to getting the message of God's, you know, warning. To the sailors, the cost was this terrifying, honestly, a traumatic event of this storm that they were in. To the merchants, had nothing to do with Jonah. Their cargo is thrown overboard. Which means the shipping company also loses their revenue. And there's a cost that goes beyond just Jonah. And of course Jonah gets to have this near-death experience and spends three days in the belly of a stinky old fish. There's a cost when we run from God. And my point is that when we run from God... They, you know, we're not the only one who pays the price. We're not the only one that affects. When we're avoiding God, we tend to embrace sin. We get incredibly selfish. You know, an extreme example might be, think of a drunk driver. Or think, you know, maybe you, at a time in your life, you were, uh, you got a DUI. Or you, you were doing this very, very behavior yourself. And you think, huh. Think think about this. That sin of intoxication would cause a person to only act for themselves with no regard to how it might impact the people around them. And so they just get in the car. You could extend that into lots of examples. 
So, okay, that's an extreme example. You think, Brian, that doesn't apply to me. I, you know, I've never done that. Okay, what about my refusal to love my neighbor? Or my refusal to honor God in my finances or in my sexual behavior or in the use of my language? There's, there's a cost to the people around me every time I run from the Nineveh of, well, I don't want to obey Jesus regarding that situation or I don't want to obey Jesus regarding that person. There's a cost. And, and running from Nineveh might not even look like a big storm. There may be no storm involved for you. It's, it's minimizing sin. It's, it's ignoring time with God. It's, it's burying myself in busyness and entertainment. So I, I just distracted from anything to do with the Lord. But everyone has a Nineveh and God's calling me to face mine and He's calling you to face yours. Alright. What's your Nineveh? But let's say we do run in the wrong direction. Let's say we're human and we say, no, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to face that situation. But now you have that moment. You're in the belly of the fish. Or even before you get to the fish, the, 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 the turnaround moment. How do we get there? We recalibrate through worship. You recalibrate through worship. Any of you who works with, you know, uh, important instruments in a lab or something once in a while you have to recalibrate andy i I saw you in a moment there recalibrating your guitar you're tuning your guitar there's a moment we have to recalibrate our our life and you do that through worship you see that in verse nine so think about this jonah's in full avoidance mode right he is sleeping in the ship while the sailors are rowing and praying and throwing cargo overboard and absolutely freaking out probably puking everywhere as well Right? And, 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 and you gotta remember, sin makes us selfish. And Jonah's not dumb. He knows what's going on. He understood exactly what, what was, he was responsible for even before that poll of like, hey, let's see who's responsible for this mess. And somehow God chooses to use that method to, to identify him. And it's a contrast. If you read the New Testament, you know, there's a, there's a, a an event where Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. And there's a huge storm that blows up. They're on the Galilee and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Well, this is meant, you're meant to catch the parallel there. Jesus is sleeping in the boat because he's, he's so submitted to his father. Jonah is sleeping in the boat because he's in rebellion against God. Jesus is sleeping in the boat because he has control over the situation. Jonah is sleeping in the boat because he's out of control. You see those, like it's, it's the opposite situation. It's meant to just show us how great Jesus is. But, but ultimately, Jonah had no choice but to own up to the situation. And it's a great moment. Um, and even though the sailors are like, no, no, we don't want to throw you overboard. Let's row harder. Um, that, that this turning point, this moment of admitting sin, uh, and, and recalibrates at verse 9. Let me read re, verse 9. When challenged by the sailors, it says this. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Okay, so in this moment, Jonah is declaring both who he is and who God is. And I think that's an essential aspect of worship. To declare, I am a child of God, and God is the creator of everything. We sang it today. God is is so good, right? Your goodness to me. Um, and, you know, we're declaring things about God, but also declaring our identity, 
who we are. So when we put things in perspective like that, it's a really sobering reality. We remember, oh, wait, wait, there's nowhere that I can go to get away from God. He alone is worthy. He alone is sovereign. He alone is in control. You can read about that in Psalm 139. If you're taking notes, put that in your margin. Psalm 139, read that later. No matter where I go, God, you're there. And meanwhile, you know, it's not hard to see the sailors kind of putting two and two together. You know, in pagan cultures, their worship, their gods were seen as territorial or regional, right? A god of the sea, a god of the mountains, a god of the valleys, uh, you know, and here they are being tossed around like a cork in this crazy storm. And, and Jonah says, well, I actually worship the God who made all of this. Like, oh no. They're like, oh, oh, we are, we are done. We are doomed. We're carrying this sinner on our ship. Uh, we're done for. We are absolutely done for. In, in a proper understanding of the origins of the universe is essential you friends it's not like yeah some people believe in creation some believe in other things it's kind of optional it's not optional it's essential to understand because if god did not create everything he is not god when we remove creation from your worldview everything's going to collapse because of if if god did not create you're just a random accident of chaotic forces not to mention there's just any oh man don't get me started (sighs) take a breath all right it's the lie of the enemy to deny the creator the god who made you who made you man or woman the one who made the sun and the moon and the stars and everything you can see and everything you can enjoy god made it all that's part of what makes him god and that's like kind of the foundational point for jonah to say i'm a hebrew and i worship the god who made everything the land and the sea psalm 24 verse 1 and virtually every book of the bible declares at some point that god is the creator Psalm 24 says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. And when we've been avoiding God, when we've been running from our Nineveh, the best thing I can do is to recalibrate through worship. To, to, to declare, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. The, the one who made the sea and the land. That's the, that's a recalibrating moment for you. Start there and you can begin your journey in the right direction. Now it does get messy for him after that point, for sure. And our, our message series is called Out of Control, Trusting God in Crisis. And there's nothing like a big storm to remind us that we're not in control. Oh, do I have time for a little story? Okay. So, um, uh, Becky and I were pretty newly married when uh, we got invited onto a little boating trip and i think uh, a guy in our church had a, had gotten this new kind of river boat and um it was a really cool boat i got i gotta say and i think there were eight of us on the boat i was trying to do the math yeah i think it was eight maybe ten i think there was eight of us on the boat and i i'm not great with water so i wore a life vest no one else did we put in on the river it's called the harrison river and we, we, we've, uh, boated upriver to this massive lake, Harrison Lake. And Harrison Lake and that whole area is known for kind of sudden storms. The lake is so large, it's kind of this microclimate. And, uh, 
so we were boating around Sunday afternoon. It's like, hey, we should get back. This, you know, we saw the, like these clouds coming in, and and uh, we're like, Gary was the the boat guy, um, captain. Come and call him captain. Call him captain. And Gary, the captain, is like, oh, we should probably head back. So we hit. Well, by now the the waves are starting to happen, and when we get back onto the river, the waves are, well, I would I would say like twenty feet tall, but. They, they weren't that big, but it was one of those moments where the boat's going up, slam, push, up, slam, push. And it was super scary. It was super scary. But everybody in the boat's just laughing. Ah, oh, this is hilarious. Such a good time. And there was a moment. I watched Gary's face. There was a moment when it switched from this is hilarious to oh no. <laughs> and you could see in his face like he was terrified. He was scared. And uh, he managed to somehow get us out. We didn't pull out anywhere near where the trailer was. And we got hitchhiked back to where we needed to be. It was so scary. Now, that storm was not because any of us was running from Nineveh. That's because we were young and dumb. That's the only reason. So that story actually has nothing to do with the message. But um, I just wanted to tell the story. Sometimes, thanks for letting me. Sometimes the storm, however, is an act of God's love. Counterintuitive. An act of God's love. There's something I call arresting grace. When God allows or perhaps even sends circumstances that shake us up so much we realize how desperately we need Him or convince us it's time to obey. Some of you have been through that. Like you got to a place where, oh wow, I've, that was a big storm. I've got to get things right with God. And to, Listen, to God, Jonah was not disposable. It wasn't like, ah, well, I'll just get someone else to go to Nineveh. No, God could have done that. He could have sent anybody else, but God wanted to work through Jonah. He wanted to demonstrate his love to Jonah and through Jonah. And he wanted to teach Jonah good things about God's own good character. That's the grace of God at work. And God did what he needed to do to get a hold of Jonah. And as we said, it was costly and it was painful to him and to all the people around him. But it had to happen. And you might think, well, a loving God would never let bad things happen. Right? A loving God would never let a terrible storm blow through my life. Well, what if the most loving thing God could do is go to extreme lengths to get a hold of Jonah, to get a hold of you, to get a hold of your friend or your family member, your loved one, your coworker, your classmate. What if that's the most loving way God can get a hold? Maybe God loves you so much he's going to put you into extreme circumstances so you'll stop and say, okay, God, I'm going to stop trying to do this myself. I'm going to let you be in control. I'm going to trust you. It's possible because that's what happened for Jonah. And, and, and you know, the sailors... This is kind of a side benefit. Throughout the storm, they're actually more righteous in a way than Jonah. I mean, they're calling out, they're praying, they're, they're working at it. They, they, you know, um, they don't want to throw him overboard, right? But they had a conversion experience of their own. Sometimes your storm is actually going to be a blessing to someone else. Verse 16 says this, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So the storm actually spoke their language. They're like, oh, we get it. We understand what's happening here. There is a great God, and we, we're we going to worship the great God. God is powerful and gracious. And your storm, listen, I know, it might feel like it's punishment. 
It might feel like it's unfair. God, why is this happening to me? God, why don't you, why don't you hear me? God, why don't you put a stop to this? But, but what if God's love is doing whatever it takes to get your attention? You might view someone else's storm. How about this? As unkind and unfair. And you're trying to intervene and protect them from the impact of that storm. You want to save them from the storm. But what if they need to go through that storm? So that they can hear God speak. So that they can experience God's arresting grace in their life. Don't always be a, be willing to help. But don't be a rescuer in those situations. Let's stop trying to get someone else out of their storm. And let them call on God. I wonder if you're grasping at straws today to try to make life work. I wonder if you're grasping at straws. Is it is it possible if that's happening to you, is it possible that you're ignoring something God's been asking of you? Are you resisting the very work of God in your life? Are you running from a Nineveh? And if that's you, you start by recalibrating your heart through worship. I'm a child of God. I worship the God who made everything. If you have not yet come to that place of being able to say, I'm a child of God, that's a starting point. Jesus, I recognize my need for saving. I confess that I'm a sinner. I recognize you went to the cross for all my sin. I trust in you. I'll follow you all my days. That's, that's the start, maybe the starting point for you to be adopted into God's family. Recalibrate your heart through worship. Let the storm subside by yielding to God. Stop fighting. Stop resisting. Stop running the other way. He's good. He's gracious. But he might just send a storm to get hold of you. We're going to close in prayer in just a moment. One of the special things that happens on the first Sunday of June, not only do we recognize our, our high school students, but our sixth graders have like a special little event to promote them off to junior high. And that's happening now in kids church. And if you're a parent of a sixth grader, I'm going to ask you to head over there and be a part of that. The rest of us, I'm just going to have a stand together as we close in prayer. Let's stand together. Parents of sixth graders invite you to slip off to where it's just three and four year olds. They're actually, I know it seems like yesterday that they were three and four, but happened so fast. Listen, friend, we're gonna we're gonna see some crazy stuff in this in this short little series. Let Jonah teach you something. Let Jonah mentor you in what it means to stop trying to do it yourself, and instead trust God even in crisis. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Uh, lots full morning, Lord. Lots of great things today, but God, most of all, we want your word to make that lasting imprint on our hearts. God, we want to be washed and cleansed by your word. Lord, we want to be equipped and ready for the week to come. Lord, we want to open your word day by day and, and hear what you would have to say. And Lord, for those places where we've been running in the wrong direction, where we're avoiding that difficult circumstance or that difficult person, where Lord, God, just change our hearts with a readiness to say, okay, Lord, I will do what you ask me to do. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here today. I pray that we experience your presence in a precious, special way in the days to come. We thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. All right, and now let's close by reading this together.
And now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort us and strengthen us in every good thing we do and say. All right, let's make Jesus known from here to the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.